The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We're going here, fellas. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Zach Blost and Chris Nee. Zach, how's my blinking ratio to start off? Good? Normal. Uh, that's not ideal. So let, let's get into this episode. We got a lot to go over. Florida State is coming off a 39-17 to win over Virginia Tech. Uh, they didn't cover after getting out to a 22-0 lead, but they scored the first 22 of the game and the final 17 of the game. Uh, how did FSU start and close so well and what happened in the middle of the game? That's something we're going to go over. Uh, we're going to break down the game, go over some recruiting info as well, including a pretty significant official visit. Uh, but first, let me ask you guys, what, what did FSU do on its final play of the game? They nailed effectively because math is important. Hmm. Byer Sinone, sponsored by? The Turner Group. Taking a knee. We're going to buy? Always. Who would Sinone such a thing? Mr. Cristobal. What were you guys doing? Real quick. Let's real, real quick. Oh, I woke up the whole house. It was glorious. I, I was trying to be I, as quiet I, as possible, so I did the opposite. I was screaming. I, the turnover of downs, or not downs, I'm sorry, the actual takeaway from Cheney, I, I was excited. But the, the Christian Larry touchdown catch, I was cackling like a maniac. Zach, what were you doing? I was just in shock, man, because, like, I was watching a stream that was a little bit behind and Brett and everyone kept ruining it in the group chat. You're um, using watching. a Russian bot stream, man. That's on you. Yeah, my bad, man. I didn't, I was in a hotel room. I didn't, they didn't have ACC network. So uh, yeah, um, I was watching it there and, you know, I, I was, you know, live tweeting. I was like, man, that was a really dumb decision by Cristobal. And then I see my entire feed going, oh my God, oh my God. Um, and that was, I guess, when, when Georgia Tech threw the touchdown pass to go ahead. Um, just crazy because if you watch that whole game, which I, I watched most of it, Georgia Tech literally did nothing offensively. The only reason yeah. they scored points was because Tyler Van Dyke gave them points by throwing three interceptions and in, on short fields. So, like, that Georgia Tech's offense literally did nothing downfield all game. And then they complete, like, two of their biggest passes of the night on that that you know, 22 second drive to go ahead. It was insane. Brendan's game on paper.com probably says Miami dominated that game because statistically they, they did. did. Yeah. They had, it was like what? 500 yards to like 170. I think it was like 453, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it was very lopsided. Like e- you're saying. ESPN yes. had them at a 99.9% win percentile. That's where there's not a hundred. That's why they don't do a hundred percent on those things. Cause that kind of stuff can happen for any Miami fans. If you are listening or you're going to listen, which you shouldn't be, you should just be hiding all, all week. Like just bury your head in the sand. Uh, if you're complaining about us talking about this to start off an FSU podcast, guess what? It's my podcast. It's Chris's podcast, X podcast. We can do whatever we want. And you guys take the L. Just what do you think was going on in Cristobal's head? Nothing. When it comes to that decision. And he's done it before. That's the craziest thing I about think, it. I think it's stat padding. I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to play. Is Don Chaney, I, I, the theory around, you know, when I was watching the press conferences afterwards is, 
lot of Miami media thought because Don Cheney, I guess, was at 94 yards before that run. He actually hit 100 on the run, but at what cost? <laughs> the, the game uh, would, would be the answer to that, Zach. Um, and the, I think the maybe the most damning, well, not the most damning, but equally damning or just as much is after the game, Mario Cristobal's answer. I'm sure, I don't know if they do a Monday press conference, Tuesday, whatever they, they do it. I, I imagine there'll be a decent amount of, of backtracking a little bit, but uh, for him to even utter, and it was sandwiched, to be fair, by him talking about what they should have done and, and didn't do uh, with that decision-making, which should have just been kneel the ball. He said we would talk about two hands on on the football. So to even yeah. utter putting your player in that position, they're like, yeah, it just. And and like for context, Don Cheney was crying after the game. Sobbing, yeah. Also, I don't think he fumbled the ball. Like I don't think so you, either. Well, the can we talk ACC officiating? Because I'm here for all that. Right, let's yeah. transition. Okay, let's get into it. We'll transition <laughs> to Florida State football and ACC officiating, all that stuff. Let's get into it. But I know that this, that's a national story. It's gonna be talked about nationally uh, for the next couple of days. So as we get into FSU's win over Virginia Tech, I want to give a shout out to Chattanooga Whiskey. They are crushing it in the craft distillery game. Fall is here, cooler weather, football season. That means Chattanooga Whiskey. You can enjoy just a ton of different variety that they provide, and you can get it anywhere in the Southeast. You want an entry-level bourbon, something nice and smooth, they have that. Their rye, awesome. It's legitimately like a bourbon drinker's rye. Nice and sweet. Their 111-proof cast-strength whiskey bourbon is awesome. Uh, and then they also have their fall bottle and bond just came out as well. I would be looking for that because their bottle and bond releases are semi-annual. Always excellent. So let's get into this game here. FSU starts off by really frankly like doing everything we wanted them to do. Uh, the offense was clicking. Uh, they're moving the ball extraordinarily well on, on offense with like tons of motion, tempo. Jordan Travis is sharp. He hits Johnny Wilson uh, for two touchdowns in the first three drives. Uh, run game is going fairly well. Meanwhile, the defense has three consecutive three and outs. Everything's going like what we were looking for, fast starts, efficiency, balance. Like that's all there. Zach, how are you feeling? Like at 22 nothing, you're at the game. Were you ready to go downstairs and start doing recruiting reactions then? We try not to jinx it. Dane and I are always like very like, you know, worried. Like if we we do the recruit reactions like early as far as like setting it up and like having the story ready to go um, that we're going to, uh, you know, jinx it. But uh, but no, I I mean, I, it felt like they had the game in control. It felt like, you know, one of those games from last year where they would just go ahead big. It'd be up like 30 something at half. Jordan would play like, you know, one series in the second half and then it would be backups the rest of the way. But that wasn't the case, obviously. It's not what happened. So VT chips away at it uh, and they end up scoring 17 points unanswered, two on long extended drives and then also a kickoff return for a touchdown to start off the second half. Uh Really cut kind of as far as I can tell. I'm going to throw this to you, Chris, as we get into what happened. And it's going to be a, a complicated answer, but I wanted to go over it. As far as what I could tell, like what happened was, and, and they're closely aligned, is the defense kind of allows those two lengthy scoring drives that lasted about 11 minutes in totality to surrender 10 points. Uh, and the offense gets out of a rhythm. They had a three and out. They also had a four and out. But it was aided by some things. Uh, and, and I think those are those talking points are closely aligned. You know which talking points I'm referring to, Christopher. Uh, would you agree with me there? Well, I presume you're referencing substitution patterns. And no, I'm talking about shitty officiating. officiating. Shitty officiating. I was getting there. Calm oh, yourself. No. All right. Yeah, the officiating was horrendous. The officiating extended some drives, and let's be honest, probably took a very phenomenal interception by AZ Thomas off the board. AZ Thomas is out here tweeting bullshit. I mean, that man he loves said, Jesus. He said BS, yes, but... He loves Jesus more than about anybody I know of on this football team. And for him to just go there, like, yeah, that's what it was. It was horrible. I know people hate hearing people complain about officiating. The officiating this year in college football has been atrocious, and the ACC has been especially atrocious, and FSU games has traditionally been atrocious. It's bad. Watch that game again. Watch them spot the ball. There's routinely issues with them spotting the ball in that game. Penalties that we can go over one by one if we really want to, but Byron Turner finishes a football play, gets flagged for it. Fine, that's one. But the issue is we had multiple of those types. Ja'Kai Douglas gets an arm around his neck before the ball arrives, doesn't get that call. There's plenty of others in that game that you can point those to. are all it's, happening within a, oh, a 10 play window. Yeah, they, they had the a stretch where they were just like, Let let's take control of this game and do whatever the hell we want with our whistles and our stripes. It was awful. The AZ uh, Thomas not getting or the blindside hit, like where he's just yeah, which, I think yeah, twenty six. I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there was a lot. So it all happens in a short period of time, Chris. Uh, 
Mike Norvell is losing of, his mind too. What did you think of Mike Norvell in that moment? Because that was uh, he, uncharacteristic. He he's not Jimbo Fisher where he gets so like there's a game in the game where he's just yelling at officials. That's not how Mike operates. He doesn't traditionally do that. You don't see him get sidetracked with going after officials. You you see him have a heated conversation once in a while, but it's usually a singular play. There was a moment in that game where he stalked a referee 35 yards down the sideline, like literally followed him, barking at him the entire time. And the, the conversation lasted over a three, four play span. He was unhinged about it, and he should be. It was awful. He, yeah, he, at some point, you got to say something about it. And he has been very good about post game. And heck, he kind of took some blame upon himself for how he went about it in the game. And I'm not knocking how Mike Norvell acted about it. I'm right there with him. It was horrible officiating. And Jim Phillips was in the house, and I hope he was embarrassed as hell by the product of his leak. He may not care. Like, uh, Probably uh, doesn't. Because it keeps but happening. It's, it's, it's just this offseason. But you also bring up the Miami game, the fumble at the end of the game, and that's far from the only bad call in that Miami-Georgia Tech game. That was another poorly officiated football game. It's very tough to watch an ACC game. Apparently, I didn't watch Clemson-Wake, but I heard it was poorly officiated. It's very tough to watch any game in this league currently and not think, God, those guys suck at their job. And officiating is a hard job. It just it, they make it harder than I think it needs. They to get be. paid. They're professionals. Act like it. They stink at it. They're horrible at it. And I know all levels have issues with it, but it is especially atrocious at this level. And it's especially atrocious in a league that's trying to figure out its footing going forward in the future. So the game gets cut to a singular score after the kickoff return for a touchdown. Then FSU responds, and I think this is where I really want us to start getting into some of the more like overarching stuff, overarching, overarching. Uh, of FSU's win, uh, Trey Benson hits a hits a what sixty three yard touchdown, sixty something yard touchdown. Sixty two was the first one, eighty five is the second one. Uh, but but that touchdown was an immediate response to the kickoff return for a touchdown. FSU hits a skinny post to Johnny Wilson off an RPO. Johnny's lost for the game. Uh, he tweeted out afterward that he's he's straight and he's all right. So that that's encouraging. And then Trey Trey Benson breaks a huge run. He ends up having 200 rushing yards, Chris, on 11 carries. Yep. Almost all of that came off of a, a scheme that is called G or or down. Uh, basically, the guard pulls towards the play side. He's a lead puller. And for whatever reason, that was working, and FSU kept going to it, which I thought was a thing of beauty. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the run game, Nee. What, what stood out to you there? What, what worked about it? Obviously, a lot. Obviously, Benson hits the two big ones for 147 yards on those two. That means he had nine other runs for 53 yards. He did not lose a yard on today. I think that's a good sign of the ability for them to block up front, avoid contact, allow them to run forward. Lawrence Toefili also deserves a little hat tip to 28-yard run. was a very impressive run on his part for the touchdown. Well, did a really good job. So, you know, FSU as a whole averages 7.8 per rush. On the day, they actually eclipsed 300 rushing before you take away yards lost, which includes sacks. I think if you include the sack yards, it's like 290 that they gained on the ground. What they were Neal? very efficient on the ground. They knelt down. Did they lose They lose some to 300 yards on the kneel down? They may have. Um, Keandre Jones' block on the second uh, Trey Benson run was phenomenal. Got out Probably should have been handsome face. Think, but that's yeah, whatever. They Pat Payton dealt with that. Jared Verse dealt with that. They weren't calling that because, again, great officiating in that game, ACC. Um you know, I thought Jordan Travis did a better job of knowing when to pull and keep and do some stuff. They also put some design runs in there for him that he executed. I think he had, what, 10 for 25, if I remember correctly, uh, 16 loss, so 41 in running design-type plays gained. All in all, I thought the running game looked good. I mean, it was a big talking point during the bye week. You know, I, I get it. 147 yards of the 282 came off two plays, but those scored – 14 points like that's the objective that's the goal so i'm not one needs to like chop the numbers and say oh they weren't that good in the other examples no, no, no. like be consistent and you're going to break some here and there they also committed to it they ran 36 times in that game yeah. there's been some issues with commitment due in part to a lack of plays being running games again what 61 62 plays run in this game still an issue for fsu of play counts kind of low mike norvell's right in the way he disseminates that some of that has been third down inefficiencies as far as getting on and off the field in some games. Also, them hitting big plays is going to limit some of their ability to stay on the field. They're not putting together a whole lot of 16 and 11 and 10 play drives like we saw Virginia Tech do on three instances. What do you think that means, Zach, for, for this offense to get Trey Benson going? Because he's so momentum-based as a, as a runner. At least he was last year. Yeah, I mean, 
was talking to a bunch of recruits after the game and they were all talking about how, you know, kind of the name of the game for FSU in the first part of the season was, you know, their passing attack. And, you know, to quote KJ Bolden, Trey Benson had something to say about that. Um, it opens up so much. I mean, we know what this Mike Norvell offense looks like when they're firing in both the running and passing game. I mean, it becomes a balanced attack. It becomes something that teams have to respect. And I don't think that was the case, you know, a few over the past few weeks. Like I think, you know, Trey Benson kind of opening things up, them having a running play that they can kind of go to. I saw um, Cam McDonald, the former FSU tight end, was tweeting about this over the weekend um, after the game. He did like kind of a thread. And I thought it was pretty cool on Twitter where he was talking about the team. He was talking about how when they run counter, like there are certain things that they do, you know, just from an effort standpoint and, you know, knowing correct technique where they feel like, you know, they, they can't really be stopped. And I think that's something, you know, we saw FSU, you know, by all accounts worked a ton during the bye week you know, not even just in practice, but like, you know, specific coaches going over run plays. Like I think Alex Atkins mentioned in his, you know, press conference during that week that, that that's what a huge focus was. And I think it really paid off. Um, it seems like they really figured it out um, and how to, how to get it going. Um, I think the, you know, maybe the most noteworthy stat that Chris brought up wasn't even like the big runs. It was the fact that there were no negative plays for Benson, which I think was a huge problem in, in the first four weeks. Then I, we also felt like, and Brennan, I don't know if numbers hash this out, but watching the game first time, watching the condensed version the second time, because I haven't had time to sit through the entirety of the actual game again. Uh, I felt like they simplified it a little bit up front as far as movement, getting guys to spots. I mean, there was still movement. Keontae Jones gets out, cleans out that linebacker, for example, on the 85 yarder. It's not like they just played forward, but I felt like there was maybe uh, less effort put into moving multiple pieces at the same time a lot that we saw at times in the first four outside of the script, the script, they were really diverse, but yeah, then, I mean, the, like the G blocking, I think they did probably like about 10 or 11 of those were, and that's a pretty simple, like, yeah. So, so they did clear up the picture. Yeah. And it, and we talked about this before the game is that Virginia tech had a pretty crappy run defense. So you had to be able to run the football on them and you did, and you kept going and you hit your explosives and like, uh, I thought the perimeter blocking was also much better than what we've seen recently. I think that was a huge uh, part Keon of Coleman got praise for that by Mike Norvell after yeah, the game. Deservedly so. Um, he also got called for a, a poor holding call uh, early on in the game. That's it. you behind the chains, but he still found a way to score on the opening drive. So yeah, there was a lot of good things happening in the offense. I thought the passing game was complimentary. A lot of rollouts with Jordan. Um, he was pretty accurate on the day as well. He had the Ja'Kai Douglas uh, non-PI call which it absolutely should be like people on Twitter. You don't know what you're talking about. It should have been a pass interference. It impacted the catch because he got, yeah, he's back. wrenching them backwards before the ball arrives. So, and people complain about the decision-making there. Cause they're watching Jaheim Bell come open underneath while Jordan's already in the process of throwing. You guys are driving me crazy. He threw Just, a really good ball on a vertical route that would have been completed. For a, one, one been 40 completed. Yards. Yes. It would have been and 20 if the tackle is missed. It goes for a touchdown. Like, yeah. come on. The, yeah. the obsession where all he does is look vertically. The dude threw 18 completions, and he hit eight different receivers, and I believe he targeted 10 different receivers. Ja'Kai had the two, didn't have a catch. And I believe his target he also targeted Hakeem, or was that the singular pass by Tate? Des- and Destin Hill, too? Um, yeah, yeah, but Tofilly, Hill, Douglas, Benson, Coleman, Morlock, Wilson, Douglas, Ja'Kai Douglas, yeah. and Hakeem Williams all targeted. Like. There's only one ball to go around. There's only so many passes to be thrown. And, yes, they should target Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman more, and the next guy up should be Jaheim Bell, who is limited in this game and only played, I believe, seven or so offensive snaps. Like, I'm, Winston Wright leaves the team, and I know we'll probably touch on that, but, like, he was the third slot, and, yes, slots aren't getting a whole lot of opportunities, but, like, give the ball to your best players. Like, that's what the offense is designed to do and be. Should he maybe look and observe the field a little better? Yeah, I'm not dismissing that entirely. But, like, I'm very much over the talking point of all he does is look vertical. He won't look at anybody else. Winston Wright left because he wouldn't look at him. No. They're going to throw the ball to Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, and Jaheim Bell in that order pretty consistently because, you know what, they are three NFL players playing on your offense. You know you know how I know FSU had a fairly good week is the complaining points are about your probably, like, eighth or ninth wide receiver on the depth chart leaving. 
uh, in questions why your tight end one only got seven snaps and your LB one. Uh, you, you yawn in there, Zach. You all right? I hate it when he yawns on the podcast. I only yawn when you speak for some reason. Yeah, the, on Bethune, people were wondering, is, is that something off the field? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Again, similar to Jaheim, I think he was a little banged up. He was a captain for a game. I don't think if he was in the doghouse that he would have been a captain. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, they're 5-0 and for the first time since 2015. Uh, yeah. On defense, there were some absolute dominant stretches against a pretty pedestrian, one-dimensional offense. Like That's the context. But you start off the game with three three-and-outs, the two long drives to end the second half, there are things you can do a little bit better. Uh, but also, again, those were aided by some things. And uh, really, like, I, I think the only part in the game where I got frustrated on the rewatch, Chris, was probably like the seventh and eighth drives late in the game when, when Virginia Tech's able to run the ball a little bit. But I think you were also just preventing big play at that point and just playing for the win. Because the game got closer than it should have been uh, during that middle game stretch, like you just, I think, were just playing for the win at that point. But we did get to see a few things, right? Jared Verse breaks out from a pass rush standpoint. BT doesn't have good offensive tackles. We thought that was a chance for them to, to go and get after it. But the defense haven't played in general, Chris, I thought was was really good. It wasn't just Jared. Malcolm Ray was a man on fire early in that game, did some really yep. good things there. I thought Pat Payton had another good day, building on a couple of successive weeks of playing pretty good ball. Um, you know, I thought DJ Lundy at the second level had a very good day. I thought he by far played the best among the linebacker group on the day. And then, hey, Conrad Hussey. Uh, Fire Simone. We'll, we'll get her by. The Turner, the Turner group. group. Conrad Hussey should be a starter. I don't know about starter. What? I, I, no, I, I don't. I I am comfortable with grooving him in there and getting him more PT and working up to that point. I'm not here just because he made two really phenomenal plays in this game that he just instantaneously becomes a starter because he is still a kid that is somewhat green in the college game and still learning. That all being said, I think everybody knows how much I like him, and I think highly of him. Ultra-athletic, willingly physical, capable of being good in coverage. I think he's probably the best package of anybody at the safety spot that FSU has at actually playing the safety spot. But I'm not one for just thrusting a guy into a starter role if you're not quite ready. And it's clear FSU's not quite ready for that. My concern, I voiced this, I believe, on our last pod or the one prior to it, was when he made a mistake in one game, you seemed to abandon the idea of playing him, and that was foolish. Give that kid reps, get him reps, get him ramped up, get him out there and play. And I think we saw FSU make a commitment to guys like him and Blake Nicholson in this game to do that. So yeah, Blake Blake made some mistakes on a scoring drive and and the, he stayed on there for the entire drive yeah. until he got into the red zone, which I think that might have just been a like 10 or 11 plays at that point. So like you, you gave him the hook at that point. But like, yeah, he they um, he did. Blake, did. Uh, Blake, Blake but looked, that's going to come with a freshman play. Yeah. Blake, right. Blake Nicholson is an upside kid that they need to play. The, that is. The balancing act that you're trying to stri strike, you're trying to play true freshman. Uh, and unless you're just in all world, like the most elite of the elite, like there's going to be moments where you're kind of pushing through. Stop yawning. Just you, it's man. like Hakeem Williams in practice. Hakeem Williams in practice will make some exceptional plays and get very high praise. He's also a guy that probably draws more fire from the staff than most others on offense because he makes freshman mistakes and he has moments where you know he doesn't get the right depth doesn't turn the right way doesn't block the guy he's supposed to block I'm not trying to say hakeem's been bad in practice just saying there's those moments where it's noticeable he is getting coached up somewhat aggressively again it's investment they believe in the kid they run him out there as soon as they can in the game they want to get him targets they want to get him plays but that's what they're going to do i thought mike norvell's quote in the press conference about freshmen is pretty much their view on freshmen which is they're not in a rush to play a guy just play a guy to say they played a guy but they do want to run these guys out there. They do want to play them because they do believe they can contribute and help them now and in the future. You know who the number one ranked PFF? Conrad Hussey, buddy. I appreciate everyone. I'm here for it. Appreciate everyone grabbing that photo I did and giving me proper attribution for the research I was doing at 7.30 in the morning. That's cool. Um, yeah, Conrad Hussey, really good. I'm fun with the – like he played 20-something snaps. I'm fine with that in the rotation right now because you don't want to put – it's this balancing act. He played well with, with the reps he had. He has had some moments early on where he was a little tentative and like wasn't as quick to trigger downhill a few times as you would like him to be. Was quick. he the one that Shaheem was – it was him and Greedy, right, on the side together, and Shaheem was directing traffic pre-snap on a play? I, I think that – yeah, because Con, yeah, because Conrad – yes. So you're so having – That's a, an example of he's learning on the job. So. Right. 
I'm all for him becoming a starter. I'm not just here to award him the startership because, well, he had one good game. I, I think more so it's about gradually improving his ability to play reps and seeing how it goes. And if it gets there, then let it get there naturally. That hit though. That, oh, hell yeah. The, the trigger and the, uh, the vision, the tunnel speed, like that was, uh, I was excited. I was, I was, I was awake. I woke up. I woke up twice on that day. That and the end of the Miami game. Wide awake yeah. for both of those. The, the desk next to me moved. <laughs> no comment. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about this game? Oh, uh, okay. So go, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I mean, to me, like, I, as I think about a game afterwards and then rewatching whatnot, I thought overall FSU really controlled more than 75% of this game. That second quarter is you don't want football to go that way. You got to get off the field. You can't allow, what, 27 plays versus I think it was like seven. Yeah. For FSU, you just can't allow that. That's not something that's operational. It doesn't work. It's not the way it should be done. Do, do the, we think, Chris, that's kind of what this team is at this point? They they allow uh, one or that two happens. of those seemingly pretty much every game, yeah. yeah. Do you think well, and they kind of like – so part of my concern is like – oh, go ahead, go ahead, Zach. What were you going to say, Zach? I was going to say subs. Are you thinking well, like the time? Nicholson drive, uh, when they cross the 50, it's clear they're kind of building some momentum. I was surprised they didn't go back to more to experience the unit. In that case, but I also get the idea is you got to give them an opportunity to prove you can do it. So like, right? You didn't like the quick, you didn't like the quick hook with Conrad Hussey against BC. So like, I didn't like the fact that he pulled him and never played him again. It's more so like you're in the second quarter of a game. You're still in the point where you're trying to put the game away, maybe early, and you're allowed to play a lot of subs late if you put a game away early. It would not be the worst thing for FSU to have killer instinct in the second quarter and truly put a game away instead of it being a five point game at some point early in the third quarter. To me, like, are quality snaps for a true freshman, like, is that not good to play after the game's already squared away? Like, are you trying to get them in when, you know, the game's still in? Yeah, there are. Uh, I, I think, like, there's yeah, I think there's a degree of a belief of the competitive competitiveness of the opponent factoring into those reps. And I think that's why they're trying to get them some burn there in the third or fourth series of a game versus just waiting for when the scoreboard is lopsided. I just, to me, like, I feel like that's a better spot to maybe use some of those subs. Like, they've done it consistently. Like, if they go up, like they'll they'll take you know some of their top guys you know off the field for a, a drive or two. Um, but to me, if the if the game's still in question, which you know I know they were up twenty two zero, but it still was like you got to score at least one more time, I think, um, but, put it away. But there's also like a level, Zach, of like preparation to it too. It's like you go into a game, a lot of time, like on defense, they'll be like, okay, this safety is going in the third series of the game. And this guy, like I think Blake Nicholson is very clear, this is the fourth series of the game, is you're going to get a chance here. And so like you you have practice for that during the week or you tell the player that and then you don't do it. Like there's a – I mean, you're diluting trust then too. So like, when they got in the red zone, they went back to – base original defense, right? At least a majority of the 11 on the field were guys that are starter types for FSU, correct? I believe so, yes. So I was listening to an NFL game yesterday coming back from campus after stalking LJ McCray and company and watching the end of the soccer match. And uh, somebody on the radio made a good point, and I forget who it was, might have been Barrett on college radio, that college football so much has become red zone percentage game of the team that scores a higher percentage in the red zone touchdown-wise is going to win versus playing good red zone defense and getting stops. FSU is super efficient offensively in the red zone. Scoring touchdowns 80% of the time, and they're 100% on scoring in the red zone this year. They're averaging, I think, over six points per red zone visit. It's probably one of the best averages in the country. Their touchdown rate matters. Their touchdown rate is currently – 80 percent that's sixth nationally, only yeah. one, two, three, like power five teams are better than them. Yeah. And really defensively, good. FSU has been pretty good in the red zone, especially at forcing plays in the red zone. So I think there's a degree of that's a mentality to FSU when they are going with these early subs. Of when it gets down there into the tight zone, the red zone, we will lean in on the guys we truly believe in and believe we can get a stop. And they did it in one of those cases, you know, two and ends up scoring a five-yard touchdown. They did in the other case where they settled for a field goal. Isn't this also like at least I think there there's an element of they're playing for more than just a singular game. Yeah. They're trying to build the depth. And, I mean, you talked about it last week, Brendan. 
Mike Norvell teams tend to play the best in November, and there's a reason for that. They they build the roster through the process of the first eight to ten weeks of the season of real-time action, whether it's in practice or in games. But, yeah, they definitely do that. There's an intention to it. And we're nitpicking here. I mean, FSU won by three-plus touchdowns in a game where they gave up a kick return for the first time in 19 years, breaking the longest streak in the nation. You know, so, like, you know, if they don't give up that kick return, it's a lopsided game they cover. You know, it is what it is, but we are nitpicking. But that's what you do on a podcast, right? That's why everybody has one. That's what, That's why we're here. Um I think the last nitpicky thing and then the overarch over someone let me know overarching overarching uh is so the last nitpicky thing is I think my concern with like the long going back to the long drive, Zach mentioned substitution methods, um is like it's not complimentary. And obviously you don't want to go and allow a long scoring drive, but like it's football, it's going to happen. The issue is the offense is so big play reliant, is that sometimes those don't always fit like you want to get the ball back to the offense. If that's what it's gonna be, this like home run chunk offense, which Mike Norvell offenses typically are, and they're not a great like three, four, five yards at a time type of team, like you want to get the ball back to them so you just keep getting more attempts to go and hit home run ball. Uh, when you have a bend don't break type of defense. Uh, that doesn't always like play into what you're yeah. like when you fail, allowing, when you fail, it's also team. hurting the offense as well. Sorry, Zach. Exactly. Yeah. You're allowing the other team to drive down the field and take chunks out of the clock. I think, uh, I think you're right. Like it's not complimentary to the style of offense they're playing this year. Yeah. To the whole point, VT ran 24 plays for 146 yards and 10 points over what 10 minutes and 57 it was, seconds it was, it was about 11 of game and between that f is you had three plays for negative three yards and 156 and then also your offense if they're able to sustain a drive which again there was a lot of bs in, in that second drive but it came off of a three and out too so you had a three play drive a four play drive and that four play drive was meh but um there's like a momentum in a in a groove and yeah play caller gets in a groove quarterback needs to have a feel like that all matters that's all part of it um but hey like again you're a better team. You control the game from wire to wire. It got a little closer than it needed to be, uh, but you won. Uh, and I think, like, for me, positively, one, I think defensively they stayed aggressive for the most part. Mm-hmm. I don't think they blitzed as much as they did the week before, but we talked about, like, aggressive just doesn't mean blitzing. There were plenty of times where they allowed their four defensive linemen to go after it. Far less mush-push, especially early on in some high-leverage situations. The other side of that, the offense, I thought, looked like the closest thing that we've wanted to look like this season in terms of the balance on the opening script, getting Jordan moving around, him being willing to run the football, uh, balance where he's throwing the, the – like that all looked the way – like you're working to something there. I think you figured some things out during the bye week, and now you just got to keep building on it. So those are Yeah, and on the defensive aggress- aggressiveness, the fourth and 22 where drones getting 21 and they almost do it. I thought that three-play stretch, and obviously they almost gave up a fourth and 22. It would be a very different conversation if they had. I thought that three-play stretch from an aggressiveness defensive standpoint was really good. They just missed on the fourth and 22. But they had three down linemen in the backfield pressuring drones when he stepped up. The issue was that fullback got going down the field. They, they were almost too aggressive in the way those guys attacked because all three of them went after the quarterback and were diving rather than playing like – so it was almost the opposite. But, but they had – they I get you want people at the sticks, but drones throwing a ball 30 yards in the air, you know, say six-yard drop or so and going beyond the six is 28, 29 yards. He ain't made to do that. So, like, I, I would have been fine with somebody living a little bit more in the middle of the field to try to halt that progression forward that he had. VT was two of 13 on third downs. Now they were three of four on fourth downs to kind of you know, alter that a little bit, but you, you forced them to play um, behind the, the sticks a lot throughout the game. So overall, really good game for Florida State. Uh, battles end. They're asking for $50 after getting the fifth win of the season. I think that's a very reasonable thing. That's the least that you can do because uh, if you like having a good roster that keeps winning football games and FSU has what? 11 wins in a row now, Chris? 11 wins in a row and 30 or more points in all of them. Uh, yeah. the roster roster building isn't a uh, a free thing anymore in college football. It has been for a long time, but you actually have a chance to donate and help out. The Battle's End uh, is where you can go. Let's pick up a sponsored by Battle's End, a player of the game on each side of the ball. I will start off on offense with a real difficult one, Trey Benson. Yep. Honorable mention to Johnny Wilson for two touchdowns, first touchdown catches of the season for Johnny. I mean, still Chris's thunder, Conrad Hussey. Ooh, on defense. defense. Okay. I mean, he made made a game changing play with the fumble and fumble recovery. And then yeah. he obviously had that big hit and a few other 
great plays in coverage. So, Jared Verse had a really good day too. Two sacks, three tackles overall. He, he's an at. I think Deloach was a leading tackler, but I actually thought Lundy out of the two backers played the better game. Uh, I thought Omar Grimm actually had a nice game at linebacker. I got to give him credit. I think he's settling in a little bit. But um, Jared Verse for me, two sacks and. Well, you kind of see him break through a little bit uh, and just the burst off the ball is, is crazy. So. so real quick before we get to recruiting, uh, I'll do a little trivia here brought to you by football coach College Dynasty, which you can get on Steam. It has had a little price hike, but it's well worth it. Just ask Zach. It's all he does now. Please remember His name. wife has left him. Um, I'm joking about it. She very much loves him. Um, FSU under Mike Norvell when they score 30 or more points. What's her record? Wait, I'm still getting over Zach's married. Yeah, basically. I mean, you say in the shadows, just be honest about it in the light. What in the world? Um, <laughs> they're undefeated. Nope. Incorrect. 21 and 1. What was the one loss? Um, <laughs> you, you should have. Zach, I didn't look up that part of the trivia, buddy. I'll look at it now. While you do recruiting, I'll look it up right now. All right, Zach, we got, we got recruiting as all, and also a, a transaction, a roster shift to talk about as well. This segment sponsored by Football Coach College Dynasty. Yeah, Football Coach College Dynasty is the best college football management game. It's available on Steam, like Chris said, on PC only right now. My favorite thing in this game um, is recruiting. And a large portion of what I do now is, you know, in the offseason, you can invest in a couple things. My favorite thing to invest in is actually facilities, because if you invest in your facilities, Sorry, getting into the weeds here, but this is a really good game strategy for those that are playing football coach college dynasty. R- really um, allowing Chris to research uh, the 21. And I, already, yeah, I got game, the answer. It's, no, it's Notre Dame. Opener okay. in 21. Overtime loss. Sense. Yeah, over 41 38. All right, let me finish my uh, game strategy. Yeah, here. you have ads so, that. Go ahead. In football coach college dynasty, if you invest in facilities in the offseason, your players are going to develop at a higher rate. So their, their overalls are going to get better. They're going to get better in, you know, various stats. And um, that's honestly one of my favorite parts of the game right now is kind of seeing, you know, you, you recruit, like what I focus on with recruiting is I, I take guys that are really high upside. So they might be low overall, um, but that, you know, they'll have B plus or a plus upside. And over the off season, if your facilities are high, you know, they're, they're going to gain a bunch of overall and be dudes for you in the long run. Thanks, Zach, for the in-depth strategy. I got you guys. On Football Coach College Dynasty. It is a legitimately fun game. Don't let Zach rambling about it ruin it for you. It is a blast. Uh, Before we get into some of the recruiting stuff from this weekend, let's talk about the Winston Wright departure. Uh, We were able to report last night that Winston Wright is no longer on Florida State's roster. Dug around a little bit on it yesterday, fellas, and into this morning. Apparently, he cleaned out his locker after. The Virginia Tech game, so it seemed like it was, and he didn't play other than I think a little bit on special teams. So no snaps. Jakai Douglas returns from an injury, gets in automatically over him. Destin Hill in there too. Seems very much like it was an opportunity thing. At least that's part of the story. So uh, Winston Wright no longer on the roster. Anything else we have for that? Chris is muted. That's good. It's good podcasting. Also, I didn't set you up very well. Not good on my part too. Zach was off on the ad read. Just not a great minute, honestly. Peek behind the curtain. That sucks. It just stinks for right that like it never got on track. The car accident, obviously, nobody's in control with that. So you know, it stole last season from him. May have stole a little bit of his athleticism, at least in the short term. I hate it for the kid. Yeah, when he transferred in, ultra excited. FSU needed it. Part of the upgrading of the wide receiver room didn't work out. I presume he'll try to pursue one more year elsewhere. I actually had a college coach reach out to me last night who's familiar with him and at a different institution now and might, you know, kick the tires. Ooh, I'll put in a show crystal ball UCF. No, I I don't think it's getting quite that far yet, buddy. No, I am. I'm putting it in. UCF is where I'm going. I'm not asking for you to reveal your coach and staff source. Um, Yeah, ultimately, like – this can be a couple of different avenues of like how you view it. And I think collectively we all were really hopeful, like for just for him, like for that story to be a comeback one that was enjoyable. And like he got on the field, he's actually doing pretty well on kickoff returns, only three returns, but 24 and a half yards, like per returns actually pretty good. So like he's made the comeback, like he's playing football again. And like, that is a cool story. And we wanted to like him to be used more or to see him more. 
Uh, but ultimately, like, this is where, like, I can be yeah. rational about it is he wasn't an integral part of your offense this year. Um, his his role was actually diminishing. There's only continue to diminish with Ja'Kai Douglas coming back. You obviously want to get Destin Hill reps. Like, in the grand scheme of, like, how it impacts this 2023 FSU football team, yeah, I think as long as you get your other kickoff returner, someone else, like, maybe a little bit more stable than do Spawn and, and Spawn is your – Bond. Uh, no, I'm saying spawn on the way they say on the broadcast. Um, as long as you have someone else like a deuce is like your home run hitter, and then you have someone else like more kind of a consistent like at bat guy, like I think you'll ultimately be fine. Um, but yeah, I think some of the, the hand wringing going on doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like it wasn't a huge part of your rotation this season. Best of luck to Winston. I'm, I'm assuming he's absolutely going to explore getting that, that final year and getting a medical waiver for 2022. So hopefully he ends up doing really well for himself. Um, okay, let's talk about recruiting. Zach, the first time in a long time, FSU was back at Doe Campbell Stadium. That means the opportunity to host recruits. I don't think we really realized like how big of a fact we've talked about. Like they didn't have that on campus recruiting like momentum, but like man, that really played a role in like not having the kind of juice that you wanted on the trail, right? I think so because like even for the LSU game, they had a ton of dudes there. But you can't really build on the on-field success if you if those guys can't talk to the coaching staff like on that kind of trip. Like, yes, it was helpful to have those guys there and see the product on the field, FSU dominating a, a top opponent at the time. But you know, Southern Miss isn't going to bring in a bunch of top-tier visitors. I mean, they could, but that's just probably not a good idea. Now you're in ACC play. You're facing some legitimate teams. You know, teams that you should beat but that are, you know, more competitive and, you know, Doak's, you know, close to sold out or sold out for the next however many games. I think Syracuse is the only game really uh, in the near future that isn't sold out yet. Oh, thank God for noon. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not happy about noon because that, that means I have to start driving earlier on Saturday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it was a massive weekend for recruiting when it comes to just getting a bunch of dudes on campus. Florida State did an awesome job at that. Uh, I mean, I think to start, we got to go with their lone official visitor, LJ yeah. McCray. Let's start he with has, that. He has not been in Tallahassee since March. He was there for that legacy weekend. Um, to be fair, he was at the LSU game, so he did watch FSU in person, but hasn't been in Tallahassee for a visit since that March trip. Um, it was a. It started up on Friday, like we first reported. Um, he stayed, you know, arrived like midday on Friday. Uh, he you know, went through a visit then, and then you know into Saturday for game day, and then finally wrapped things up on Sunday afternoon. Chris caught up with him there. I caught up with him after the game. I think the biggest thing is like the biggest news coming out of it is he has no other trips planned right now. Um, and that his decision timeline is remaining the same. It's his commitments likely to occur this month in October and after his birthday, which is on October 18th. So he said it's going to come sometime after that date. Yeah, I think he, wa he wasn't chopping any schools off the list either. So it's still Auburn, Florida State, Georgia, Miami, and uh, Florida. To me, it looks, it seems like an FSU, UF, and Georgia battle. I don't know if this is true, but like just reading like the Georgia boards and stuff, like it kind of seems like Georgia's fading a little bit, but I don't want to discount them. I don't know that to be a hundred percent true either. Uh, just, you know, from afar um, looking at this recruitment, because honestly, like, you know, Florida state's been working here, but they haven't been a true, true factor in this recruitment for, you know, pretty much the entirety of this, the off season. Um, you know, besides, you know, earlier on, like January to March, like it seemed like they were a legit factor then. But after that, UF and UGA have been kind of back and forth uh, in the lead position in this recruitment. The word out of this weekend is that FSU is caught up. Um, I think FSU is is right there with the top schools in his recruitment. I haven't heard that they're leading. I haven't heard that, you know, Florida State's exuding a ton of confidence here. But what I have heard is that FSU feels like they're right there. They're in striking distance. And I mean, it couldn't have come at a more perfect time, especially if he doesn't step foot on another, uh, on another campus. Um, and if you look at, you know, Miami's another factor in here. Like I think they feel like they're, you know, not being talked about enough in this recruitment and they feel like they're a legit contender here. But I mean, 
LJ does pay attention to on-field success. Like he has taken a ton of game visits. I don't think that's going to be the end-all be-all in this recruitment. But like Miami is a tough stretch coming up. Uh, UF could lose a few more games this month. Like FSU could do the same, but we feel pretty good about where, you know, Florida State stands uh, on the field. I mean, Miami goes to UNC, then plays Clemson at home. I think US, UF has some, you know, tougher SEC games. So we'll see. Uh, but to me, like, I just like the way it's trending when it comes to visits and also just, you know, on-field play by each of the teams in, involved in this recruitment. Obviously, Georgia just had a monster win uh, over Kentucky, and I expect them to continue to to succeed. So not trying to say that they're going to be, down, you know, down on the field, but I guess we'll see. I Right now, I, I think it's too early to call. Um, I don't even know if LJ McCray knows where he's headed yet, but... The word coming out of the weekend, like I said, is that FSU feels like it's right there. A couple footnotes to mention. Georgia in it for Aiden Breland, West Coast defensive lineman. He's deciding on October 14th. That one could play a role in numbers and situation here. Not that I think it's one or the other because they're both pretty elite players. Um, the other thing is also you got to remember what McCray, dad's a longtime college football coach like that. kid's kind of well-versed in this whole thing. I think the decision is going to be a pretty mature non-emotional type of one from him. Yeah. He, he's pretty he's a pretty uh cerebral kid. Like he, he's one of those kids that he thinks about answers. He thinks about what he's looking at. I think he likes flashy things like all 18 year olds, 19 year olds, but I think he also understands the bigger things in play when you're selecting a college for football. Yeah, I think that plays into FSU's favor a little bit. Um just because I think that's kind of what the coaching staff sells is you know real things whereas like i think other coaching staffs are a little bit more on the flashy side i'm not saying that's going to hurt them in that recruitment but yeah i agree chris like i think there were a ton of times where um uf fell or uf pushed to try and get a commitment from him on various weekends like i think at the end of july was one maybe earlier on in the season i think he was at that tennessee game that was a big win for them He's not a guy that really gets caught up in the emotions of visits and, you know, tries to make a decision off of that. Like he's going to take his time this month, go through each of these schools, figure out which spot is the best fit for him. And, and that's where he'll head. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's a really, you know, honorable thing. Like there's not a lot of kids that set up a commitment or set up an official visit um, like with Florida State where he took four OBs in the summer in June and then he had this one scheduled for October and he legitimately, you know, waited to take this trip before making a decision. Like that's, that's rare in yeah, modern college football. Basically stuck to his guns for like six months. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, staffs at other schools were trying to get him to end his, end his recruitment. And uh, he did not, which I think is a positive thing for Florida state. And it just shows a lot about the kid. I, I have a level of like, enjoyment that this is considered for us we've had a hard time getting a read on this recruitment we're viewing it as this weird recruitment it's actually just been a very like professionally like buttoned yep. up kind of yeah. like normal recruitment just, but that is yeah. weird right i mean I, it is weird for what recruiting is which is weird yes georgia so, seemed to surge oh. in those late summer months going into the season partly because georgia loves big defensive linemen like he is prototypical what they are now pursuing these days six foot four plus large bodies can play multiple positions Florida's always been in there and largely talked about, especially because I think that's the campus he's probably stepped on the most. It's also one closest to home. He's got a good relationship with the staff there. Auburn, Miami shouldn't be dismissed. He's made sure to go out of his way to go see them. We both know their players in the NIL game. I don't know how much NIL is going to be a factor in this whole recruitment. And then there's FSU, who's been kind of a long-standing school involved in this recruitment. And, you know, up till March had probably been the school that had done the best job recruiting them. And that kind of, you know, took a little bit of a side trail and, well, here we are. We got him back on campus. You you had your opportunity to make your last call with him. We'll see how it plays out. I think if Chris Nee ran a university, LJ McCray would be committed there. I mean, Chris Nee was the first. I, was I, I, I think LJ McCray has everything it takes to be a high-level Sunday football player. He's got to become a better finisher as a pass rusher, but like a true 3-4 strong side defensive end at the, the uh, NFL level. He is at he is 270 right now, and he looks a million bucks at that weight. Still moves very, very well at that weight while adjusting as any 18-year-old would be at that big of a body frame. But he's an excellent football player. Very good with his hands, good at getting off blocks, good at getting downhill, good at using his length, good against run, good against pass. Very, very high on him. Georgia, 
tends to be pretty good at evaluating these type of things. It's kind of like, not that FSU isn't, but Ohio State evaluates receiver, I'm going to probably believe it. Georgia evaluates a defensive lineman, I'm probably going to believe it. Those schools have a recent track record that deserves credit to its own. Also helps to have Jared versus have his like breakout pass rush performance in person too. I think that's another like that worked a lot of things worked out well for Florida State this weekend. So we we, we shall see. Uh not to bury the headline too. Like there was another big time visitor on campus, uh your biggest commitment, and that was KJ Bolden. Zach, you guys were able to catch up. How did KJ enjoy the game? He loved it. Um I mean I wrote like in the headline he felt like a celebrity uh because he literally um his mom posted like an Instagram reel. And it's literally just him, you know, signing autographs, taking photos with a bunch of fans. He took a photo with Peter Warwick up in the Champions Club. I mean, he had a, he had a great time, um, him and his family. So um, just a cool, cool moment for him to kind of come home. This is actually the first visit uh, he's made since he committed to Tallahassee. Um, he's, been at, he's been at two FSU games, but they're both away from from Doe Campbell Stadium. His first time back, he's, he talked about that. He's like, you know, coming here uncommitted is great coming here committed is like nothing else and you know you, you just he walks around and everyone's saying kj bolden kj bolden so um just an awesome experience for him to come back and he loved being around the coaching staff again i asked him like you know what he thought of conrad hussey's performance and he's like did you watch him in practice he always makes those kind of plays and and he's saying like hopefully we can we can make some plays together next year um so just All a right. positive visit I asked about other schools like georgia and Auburn, the two programs he's visited so far this season, you know, he's those were two trips that he told those schools that he was going to make before he committed to FSU. He did indeed, you know, follow through on that. He said right now the only other trip that he thinks he's going to make to another school is for the Iron Bowl, just because it's a good game. Um, that'll be, I think, at the end of no, uh, November, November for you know Auburn, Alabama, obviously. And then he plans to. He said. He wants to come back for the Duke game if Riley Leonard is healed from his injury because he wants to watch a good game. And then he'll definitely be back for the Miami game and possibly actually for the Syracuse game this upcoming weekend. Keep getting him to show up. Um, I think FSU's done a really nice job. Because remember we talked about that when he committed, like that the recruitment wouldn't necessarily be over, uh, yeah. that there was still going to be a recruiting process. And you're doing the things right now that you need to do to, to kind of just reduce anxiety and be in a good spot here down the stretch. So that's good. Um what else? Anything else we want to add, Zach? Or there's a ton on those 24 yeah. seven. I want to direct people yeah, there to watch cut the work you guys have done on the website this weekend. Yeah, I'm just gonna write like a, a good amount more over the week, like over the week stemming from the weekend. We got a ton of interviews after the game, you know, on Sunday. We we've written a, a bunch of them. So get over to the site. There's a ton to to uh, catch up on when it comes to recruiting for Florida State, especially in the 2025 class. FSU had some top top targets on campus in that class. I'm going to write some more today and maybe do, you know, kind of a recruiting scoop piece um, at some point earlier in this week uh, to kind of encapsulate the weekend. Yeah, to highlight a few of the updates already up there, Jordan Boyd, Georgia Tech commitment, 24 kid, could be an edge rusher option for FSU in addition to LJ McCray being there. That's a position where FSU still got work to do in this recruiting class. Um, 25, we've written a few. Carter Smith, talented quarterback. It'll be interesting how 25 quarterback goes. Tramel Jones is committed, and that's actually addressed in that article with Carter where he talks about Tony Tokars and Mike Norvell and how they're handling that with transparency and such. Um, Amari wait, Adams. Wait, go can ahead. I ask you quickly, what's your opinion on that situation? I think you keep evaluating. Okay, so those kids are playing their junior year of high school football. I think you keep evaluating. It's such it, it is a critically important position in the success of football teams, maybe more so than anything else outside of maybe an edge rusher or a left tackle type of body. But the quarterback's what makes the engine goes. You keep evaluating it. If you think Tramel is your dude, then you ride with it. If you think Carter's your dude, you go after it. If it's someone else, you go after it. If you think you need to take two, you don't shy away from it. I think that's a position where like I understand you got to navigate it because it's very easy to lose a kid because he hurt his feelings or, you know, he felt like there was a promise of I'm the only one. And then there's more, you have to do what you think is best for the program because it's a position where you got to hit it consistently. Even from a numbers perspective, like in 2025, correct? Yes. You will have Brock Glenn will be a redshirt sophomore. Luke Cromenhoek will be a sophomore redshirt freshman. And then you'll have Tramel Jones. So you're talking about three guys who are underclassmen. Um, 
So like, is that likely? Like I know you're, it's usually three to four quarterbacks on scholarship, but it depends. Like FSU has four right now. It also has two veteran ones. Um, and if, if like you probably would have been okay going into the season with three, given what you had with Jordan and, and Tate, my point B is like, if you're going to go into season with three, you're either probably going to have some kind of veteran. I don't think they're going to have a transfer come in though. So point being, I think you have a second guy in that 2025 class as it stands right now, uh, just because you're, you're trying to develop and you want to build depth. If you don't have a whole lot of proven commodities uh, at that point, we're way ahead though. That's, that's a little yeah. ways. I think, I think that's how I look at it. I think you always recruit good quarterbacks. Like you never shy away from taking a guy who you think is a high level quarterback. I think, you know, I think they think Tremel Jones is a very good quarterback, very high level kid. They love him. They wanted him. They, yeah. they were happy to get his commitment. I'm not trying to dismiss him or diminish him, but I think Carter Smith's also viewed that way. I think George McIntyre, Jared Curtis, there's other guys out there that are viewed as very high level quarterbacks. It's not the worst thing to make sure you have options going forward. And then you, you just be straightforward with the kids. If Tramel Jones asks you a question, answer it directly. If you're recruiting an outkid, be very straight up about how you're going about your recruiting process. I think they're doing that based on conversations with each of those two in the past and most recently with Carter. So I, I think that's how you go about it. A weird portion to me, you know, the only thing I want to note on this is like, I guess FSU made a promise to Tramel Jones that they're not going to have any other 2025 quarterback in Mike Norvell's office. So in, I wrote that, or I transcribed that interview, the Carter Smith one, and he goes, yeah, Mike Norvell had to step away. Yeah, from, he, he said that they have, have – Carter right. said that they have a good relationship, him and Mike, but, like, I, I think Dustin from Noel Game Day asked specifically about the meeting with Mike in the office, and he's like, didn't really have that. So, yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. But, hey, if you give a kid a word, your word, you got to be worth it, just, it. To me, like, why do you have to make that promise? The kid, It's not like Tramel Jones is just locked in and not – like, Tramel Jones is visiting other schools. He, right. was, at he was at Florida a couple weeks ago. Or but, like, why ago. Why would FSU make – that's just me. Like, it, I'm just noting – Is the promise that he can't be having a conversation in Mike Norvell's office or just can't talk to Mike Norvell? I, guess I don't know. He can't – the promise is that he can't have a We're conversation. We're podcasting, nitpicking. Office. <laughs> it's just weird to me. I'm sorry. I just wanted to note it. I think it's going to become. No, a I, I think it's wholeheartedly fear Zach. And it is interesting with quarterback recruitment, but I think it's one of those positions where you just, you got to be a hundred percent. Like they, they are a hundred percent with Luke Cromwell. They, they have felt that way for a long time. And I think they certainly got there back in the spring. And that thing ended 24 recruiting at that position entirely. I think for 25, they really like the guy they have committed and they are committed to him. But like you can't just be all in with 18 months ago before, or I guess at this point more like 14 months ago before they potentially step on campus. And there's a bit of a like there's a history they they moved on or didn't move on from. They opened up the board when Chris Parson was committed to take Brock Glenn. and that almost didn't work out, but it did. And they would have taken both quarterbacks. So like they've shown that they're flexible with how they can recruit that position. If they see someone that they think will help them, they will go and, and they will adjust. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, a lot, lot of recruiting updates at the site. Yeah. All right. You guys want to get out of here? Yes. Okay. <laughs> for for Chris Nee, Zach Blostein, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of days. It's been on the bench. Bye. Sticking the freaking landing. You sure? here if i had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex oh <laughs> heaven wait is it getting warm in here your cold snap is over old man winter spring has arrived spring spring is here which means it's the perfect time to get away in the hyundai you've always wanted visit the hyundai getaway sales event where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning hyundai models like the tech-filled tucson and kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event.
Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.